Hello, 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 and welcome to episode number three of 360 Fails Weekly Podcast Series called I Need a Timeout. My name is Marianne, and I'm your host for today. Welcome to all you new listeners, and a big old welcome back if you've been listening all along. I'm so glad you're here. Last week's episode on abuse was intense, right? Personally, I'm glad that episode is in the books. It was a tough topic for some of us. And don't forget, you can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by following me at the 360Fail Show. Or email me, 360Fail.com at gmail.com. But what if you're more of an Instagram person? Well, I got you something too. You can now follow me on Instagram at, you guessed it, 360Fail. Look at us go, moving and grooving through the social media masses. Walking into these platforms like we own the place. Well done, friends. Well done. This podcast adventure is reaching out to mankind with a singleness of purpose to help others know somebody in the world understands exactly what you're going through or have already been through. In AA, we call this sharing our experience, strength, and hope. AA stands for Alcoholics Anonymous, of which I have been a member of for a few 24 hours, by the grace of God, and for that, I am very grateful. Oh, some of you maybe didn't realize alcohol can be an addiction. Well, that's what this episode is about. Addiction. But there is so much more to say about alcoholism, and I am reserving that topic for its very own episode. So be sure to stay tuned. Now let's talk about all my other addictions. That included pretty much anything I could get my hands on that made me feel good. And because it made me feel good, there was a strong chemical reaction to that feeling, which created a desire for more and more and more. In other words, I could never get enough, and I wanted that feeling to stay with me as long as possible. Why, you ask? Because I used to self-medicate against the discomfort of living in my own skin. Seems extreme, you say. It is. But I was willing to go to any length to push aside all those awful feelings related to my trauma and abuse, no matter what. You may say I was undisciplined, and you would be right. Because I'm an alcoholic and addict with an addictive personality. We tend to be undisciplined. So what does the word addiction actually mean? Let's see what I found out, shall we? According to ASAM, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. Well, isn't that interesting? That is exactly how I just described my addictions and addictive personality. But according to the APA, American Psychiatric Association, the word addiction is applicable in the context of severe substance use disorders. So what is a substance use disorder or SUD? APA defines substance use disorder as a complex condition in which there is an uncontrolled use of a substance despite harmful consequences. People with SUD have an intense focus on using certain substances, such as alcohol, tobacco, or illicit drugs, to the point where the person's ability to function in day-to-day life becomes impaired. People keep using the substance even when they know it is causing or will cause problems. So those two definitions are very similar in overall description. The only difference is that the APA cites addiction as severe use. I'm not sure I wholly agree with that definition. It seems like splitting hairs. But I do see how someone with an addictive personality can turn into a full-blown addict thus giving us two levels of addiction in my world. To me, an addict is someone who cannot or will not stop doing something that they know is harmful to themselves and sometimes others. But that's my experience. 
No professional credentials here. So what types of substances fall into my addiction list? Let's see. There's alcohol, marijuana, crystal meth, food, shoes, purses, books, jewelry, energy drinks, and tobacco. But those are the specific items I previously had or currently still have a problem with overcoming. The broader umbrella of categories that these topics fit into are drinking, drugs, shopping, eating, and smoking. Which of those categories might you fall into? Or do you know someone personally who fits the description? Let's look at some numbers. The National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics from 2018 are 31.9 million Americans aged 12 years and older are current illegal drug users. How old were you when you started experimenting? 8.1 million Americans have a drug use disorder. Non-sanctioned, non-medical, non-prescribed use of controlled substances is considered drug abuse that is likely to create physical or psychological dependence. 43.4 million people in the U.S. use marijuana. Federally, Mary Jane is still illegal. 1.8 million people used methamphetamine. Then there are the legal drug abusers. If alcohol and tobacco are included, the number jumps from 31.9 million to 165 million Americans, aged 12 years and older, that are currently abusing drugs, illegally or legally. 14.8 million Americans have an alcohol use disorder. How often are you drinking? 58.8 million Americans use tobacco. Have you quit cigarettes? Because vaping is more acceptable to society now? So we talked about the different ways addiction comes into play, but let's talk about what happens to the person as a result. The National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics gives us a numerical inside look. Major depressive episodes affected 3.5 million adolescents and 4.6 million adults nationwide in 2018. One million adults have a mental illness. We're still talking about addiction, people. Are you starting to connect the dots? In 2017, the cost of drug abuse in the U.S. was nearly $272 billion. Taking into account crime, healthcare needs, lost work, productivity, and other impacts on society. Drug abuse often results in comorbidity. Comorbidity is two chronic diseases or conditions that simultaneously occur in patients. I am a recovered alcoholic and drug addict, or I have PTSD and fibromyalgia. Nearly 50% of persons who have a substance abuse disorder also experience mental illness. I fully believe that last statement. My question is, was the mental illness present before the drug abuse started or as a result of the type and duration that they were using drugs? Either way, mental illness seems to be a companion to the addict. The same website also noted in 2020, the National Drug Control Budget requested $34.6 billion across five areas of drug control function. The rate of Americans receiving medication-assisted treatment increases 13% annually. Okay, I know that's a lot of numbers and facts, but can you see how this whole business of addiction is not being given the same due diligence as other afflictions in humanity? For example, I just told you that despite $34.6 billion being spent, nearly 19 million people aged 12 years and older needed substance abuse treatment. And the rate of those receiving medication-assisted treatment rises 13% every year. 
And that's just the areas I've been personally involved or affected by. I didn't mention cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, opioids, Adderall, or Ambien. Seriously, what are we doing here? Those numbers show me that as Americans, we suck at living life on life's terms. We choose to go against our own intelligence and wisdom to seek a potentially harmful solution for what's ailing us. How sad, you guys. But I get it. I'm a recovered alcoholic and addict. So I remember what it's like to drink the poison, expecting others to get hurt. And then in recovery, I would take the medicine, expecting others to get well. Expectations never turn out well for me. Disappointment runs rampant and sets me up for a future resentment. My family and their friends were party people. They worked hard all week and partied just as hard on the weekend. You know, as a reward for all of their hard work. So I was exposed to drug use, drug abuse, and alcoholism right out the gate. I smelled marijuana and had my first taste of liquor all before I was five years old. My dad would open his Dr. Pepper bottle, drink about half, refill it with rum 151. Imagine my surprise when I stole a drink out of that bottle at four years old. Their advice? Don't drink out of someone else's drink. And always smell it before you do. No explanation, no education know anything about alcohol. My aunt was supposed to be babysitting me when I was little, and when my mother came to pick me up, she was smoking marijuana in her room. My aunt was chased out of her bedroom window by my mother. My dad used to smoke with my aunt all the time. My mom preferred drinking. In fact, my family and their friends I was surrounded with liked to drink and do some kind of illegal drug. My first intentional use of illegal drug illegally was alcohol and I was in middle school. My best friend was sleeping over at my house while my parents went out to celebrate New Year's Eve with their friends. I had never intentionally drank before that but it looked like people really had a lot of fun and were happy when they did. So naturally I wanted to be really happy and fun too. Well my ignorant ass went into my parents bar full of liquor bottles and proceeded to pour every type of liquid I could find into one cup. I probably don't have to tell you that I got blackout drunk, hit my head after sneaking out to another friend's house and was helped back home by my best friend who had stopped drinking because she didn't like the way it made her feel. Was I an idiot or what? But I just chalked that night up as a rookie mistake. I immediately thought, next time I drink, I'll figure out how to do it better. Famous last words. When I was 19 years old, I smoked my first cigarette. I was a late bloomer. Considering both my parents started smoking when they were kids, everyone I knew smoked, and I lived in tobacco country. But the actual reason I started smoking was because I was having migraines that were lasting for weeks at a time. It was well-intended advice given to me by one of my friends. So I went and bought a pack of smokes. And wouldn't you know it, the damn things worked. Unfortunately, the smoking didn't erase my migraines, but it did help to take the edge off enough for me to function. Three months later... I went to the doctor about my vision. Turns out I was diagnosed with pseudotumor cerebri. My brain was swelling so much it was pushing on the back of my optic nerve. That was about to hemorrhage. So they performed a spinal tap and pulled off a boatload of fluid. 24 hours later, no headache. Awesome. But did I stop smoking after the migraines got under control? Nope. Fast forward 20 or so years and guess who still smokes? My reasons today are because I don't want to quit. So it's just a habit now. 
and not a solution to anything and super expensive. Oh, I try and try to quit and then I vape and then I go back and then I smoke more to make up for what I missed while trying to quit. And today I actually vape and smoke cigarettes. It's so dumb. I've done the patches, taken the pills, gone cold turkey, made deals with God, and broke promises to those I love, and I still haven't been able to close the deal permanently. Honestly, it's because it's not high on my priority list of things to do today. I will get there. I will quit smoking cigarettes and vapes before I die, if they don't kill me first. My dad died from complications of bladder cancer because he was a chain smoker. Until he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and stage three bladder cancer. Imagine my shock when the doc told me that smoking leads to more bladder cancer diagnoses than lung cancer. Wait, what? What does your bladder have to do with smoking cigarettes? Isn't lung cancer the more obvious area of destruction? Apparently not. Pray for me, y'all. The struggle is real. My first illegal drug use, also in college. I tried those magical mushrooms everyone was talking about. Hallucinating? Not for me. I'll just sit here, have a drink, and a smoke. Thank you very much. My next illegal drug use? I was 20, I think. When I tried marijuana for the first time, with that same aunt who got busted for doing it while babysitting me. She loved her some substances of all sorts, but she never asked me to try anything. It was my relentless pursuit for relief from life. I smoked the wacky tobacco pretty regularly for about a year. Turned out all it made me do was laugh until I cried and then fell straight asleep. And actually, I was already really tired, and I didn't need to sleep any more than I already was. I quit using marijuana and continued my drinking. See, my blackout drinking was never a problem for anyone around me, because they were just as drunk too, if not more. So if they pointed out my problem, they would have to face the mirror. And really... None of us want to do that when we're not at our best. But my Crystal Matthews around 21, not readily accepted by those who knew I was using. You remember the same aunt who taught me how to smoke weed? She was my middleman for Crystal Meth until I went straight to the dealer and found out it was cheaper than what my aunt was charging me. Today, I get that. Because she was an addict trying to score her next high too. It wasn't personal, it was business. A messy business. I started using crystal meth because I was thrust into a situation after starting a new job that would require me to be awake and drive a large U-Haul truck across the country in three days time. My mother was moving back to be closer to her daughter who had three months prior tried to commit suicide. Did I mention I'm an only child? Yeah, I was a hot mess just trying to figure out how to live life. I used crystal meth for about two years before I quit regularly, every day, on a schedule. I was a functioning addict who worked and kept house, made dinner, went out with friends, the whole shebang. I would score my drugs during my lunch break and go right back to work. No problem. One day I was randomly drug tested by work and got busted. Lucky for me, my work people were all partiers too. I told my boss I'd been partying over New Year's while on vacation in Vegas. All true, But what he didn't know was that I was using every day. Do you know the only thing he said to me? I wish you would have told me, and then I could have pushed the drug test out a little further so you'd be clean. I had lied to my boss, whom I considered a friend and actually respected. Hashtag 360 fail. 
But that's what addiction can do to you. Make you someone you're not. Being busted by work? Lying to my boss? None of that stopped me from snorting my next line. And in case you didn't know, crystal meth burns like hell in your nostrils and tastes like shit going down your throat. So I found a better way to keep using. I started smoking it. That, my friends, was the absolute end of my sanity. My grandmother passed unexpectedly, whom I was very fond of. I was getting married under a lot of pressure, and I just couldn't seem to keep up with life. I was not coping well at all. So in my addictive mind, that meant I needed more crystal. But maybe I could have stopped. I had too much to do. I'd stop when I got all those things checked off my to-do list. I just needed to get through whatever was in front of me, and then I would stop using meth. Turns out, God knew better than I that something drastic had to occur for me to change my ways. I can be pretty stubborn, and generally, God gets my attention in very unmistakable ways. So his solution? Let me get pregnant. Perfect. That was something I wasn't really on board with, being a mother. God knew it was never a priority to take care of myself, but I was excellent at taking care of others. So if I needed to change something in my life that was hurting me, just put someone who needs help in front of me and I'll straighten up real quick. And that is what I did. I was six weeks pregnant when I found out and I was using crystal meth three times a day, every day. Time to grow up. And I did. No drinking, no smoking, no drugs, no nothing while I was pregos. It was like it never happened. And so I thought, well, that part of my life is over. Time for a new chapter. And a new chapter it was. My new husband and I were getting along better than ever. And I had a beautiful baby girl who deserved all of the best parts of me. Fast forward a couple years worth of weekly drunkenness at a bar and a devastating miscarriage. Guess who gets pregnant for a third time? After my second daughter was born that summer, a whole string of unfortunate events occurred. I had postpartum depression that required medication. My sweet uncle, diagnosed with leukemia in the fall, he died shortly after diagnosis. In early 2006, I went with my close friend to visit him at home the day before he passed. I had never felt the loss of someone, and I didn't want to. So we went to the bar to have a beer or a few in his honor. Then we went to her house, and I tried cocaine for the first time. I didn't want to go back to meth. That seemed extreme but I needed something to take the edge off. I was scared and hurting. I didn't really get the hoopla about cocaine, so that only lasted about a month or so. Drinking was cheaper anyway. But it was getting harder and harder to be motivated about anything in life. And life wasn't slowing down for me at all. So I started using crystal meth for a minute to get over the newest hump in my life. Sounded like a good idea. And besides, I had learned my lesson and the power of the monkey on my back. So this time, I would be more responsible, more prepared, and more confident that I could quit anytime I wanted to. I did it before. I could do it again. Then my very best friend and her family told me they were moving to another state. I was crushed. A month later, they were gone. When I say we were tight, I mean like we had worked together, were pregos together, had the same number of kids at the same babysitters, had dinners weekly at each other's houses, and our husbands were the best of friends. We were inseparable. I was so sad, you guys. So very, very sad. But please, let's increase the amount of meth being used, shall we? 
more crystal to push through the pain to keep my life moving at breakneck speed. I didn't have time to be sad. Then my dog died in my lap. She waited until we got home that day, crawled over to me, and I held her and loved her until her last breath. I lost it. I could no longer manage my life. Nothing no longer mattered except turning into a robot on meth. I almost forgot my oldest daughter's third birthday in that three-month binge I was on. I cried every night for three weeks to my husband. Please, someone help me, I begged to God and him. I didn't know what was happening to me. I was scared. I was confused. I was grieving. And the harder I pushed against the emotional breakdown, the more crystal meth was required to maintain my responsibilities in life. On June 9th, 2006, I smoked my last bowl of crystal meth as they tried to put me in rehab. Finally, on June 12th, I willingly entered a residential rehab facility. It saved my life. I spent 30 plus days in that place of recovery, and let me tell you, those 30 days felt like an eternity, and I really wandered around wondering what in the hell was I doing there. I didn't even like crystal meth. What I liked was that I could get all the things done on my never-ending to-do list. It's not like it was for fun or anything. What I needed was help managing my life, and I truly had no support system, with or without drugs. I also learned then that my playground and playmates were toxic, even my own mother. I was encouraged to cut her out of my life for at least the first six months of sobriety at home. So I agreed. Then when I did get home, people wanted to do stuff, like get together and have a few drinks, because they were so proud of me for getting help from my drug problem. But something inside me said, you know what? You may have gone to rehab for crystal meth, but you might want to think twice before pouring alcohol down your throat. I heeded that warning, and so I have been sober ever since. My recovery started in NA, Narcotics Anonymous, obviously. I was a newly sober drug addict recovering from crystal meth. My problem clearly was an alcohol, or otherwise my intervention would have never happened. You see, they all knew I drank a lot, but they drank a lot too. The problem was, I was the only one using drugs. So meth was my problem, really, not drinking in their opinion. But then word got out I wasn't drinking either. I didn't have to change my playground and playmates. I stopped getting invited. They said they were being respectful and not flaunting it in my face. But I say it was hard for them to justify their drinking while looking at me stone cold sober. Hashtag buzzkill. NA was not my cup of tea. I don't know what it was about that meeting, but I would leave wanting to use crystal meth. So I stopped going to the meetings. A few months later, I'm starting to white-knuckle it through life, still not drinking, still not using, and I had no way to escape the madness surrounding me. So I tried an AA meeting, but I'm not an alcoholic, right? I went to rehab for meth, not alcohol abuse. That first meeting happened to be a big one, and I was intimidated and still pretty new in sobriety. That particular group was more of a tough love group than a compassionate one. They told me I could either drink or die. It was up to me. So my offended self decided I wasn't going to any more meetings of any anonymous group ever again. A few months later, a guy I work with at my new job says to me, are you in enough pain? I looked at him like, what the hell are you talking about? He asked me again, are you in enough pain yet? I replied, why? 
He said, because you look like you're about to lose your shit and white knuckling it through life is no way to live. Busted. So I said to him, I'll bite. He starts to tell me his experience, strength and hope because he's an AA and he can see exactly what's happening because he's been there too. Thank you God for sending me some help, a true intervention. I was immersed in AA for a good long while. I got a sponsor, went through the 12 steps of AA with all the earnestness of a drowning woman, served several areas of the fellowship, and guess what I found out? Wouldn't you know it? I'm an alcoholic. Could have fooled me, but there it was in black and white. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thankfully today, I know for sure that if I were to start drinking again, that my life would be a thousand times more difficult to deal with than it already is. Because in the end, my life is still there, waiting for me to participate in it. You know, nothing changes if nothing changes, folks. Recovery from any addiction requires one thing. Change everything about yourself, from the inside out. A tall order, you say? I would agree. You have to want it, you guys. You have to want to know why you do the things you do. You also have to be willing and courageous enough to take a look at that. The good the bad, the ugly. And I encourage you to recognize that there is a power in this universe that is greater than yourself. Until then, I suspect you won't hear a damn thing. And let me just clarify real quick. A power greater than yourself does exist. Unless you can totally stop a moving bus dead in its tracks without getting hurt. I don't know. Maybe you can. But for me, it's about humility. Humility in my world means not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of myself less. Do you think people are thinking about you as much as you are thinking about you? Because I guarantee nobody is thinking about me more than I am thinking about me. Without understanding who we are, how can we possibly understand anybody else? I often remark that I went into rehab as a drug addict and came out an alcoholic. I'm not involved in the fellowship of AA as often as I used to be. That's because those rooms taught me how to walk through life with grace and dignity that's neither drink nor drug induced. The foundation is for a life worth living, and I use these tools in all of my affairs. Their program is simple, but not easy. I encourage anybody who has ever had a dependence on a substance to the point that your life became unmanageable, please seek help in understanding your addiction. And that may require a whole lot of therapy with someone who knows what they're talking about. I did. Addiction takes its toll on you and everybody else watching. Just because you stop participating in your addiction doesn't mean for one minute that everything is all okay. The interesting thing I learned, a drunk jackass is the same as a sober jackass, unless you address the jackass part. A strung out thief is the same as a sober thief, unless you address the thief part. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Removing the substance isn't enough. If you really want to stop doing and feeling the same old shit, it's going to take a whole bunch of effort on your part. Because surprise, it's an inside job. That's right. Nobody can do for you what you need to do for yourself. If you can't see enough value in yourself to seek a different way of life, then do it for someone you love until you can love yourself. I got sober for my kids in the beginning. Today, I am sober because I want to continue to be the best version of myself possible, period. 
I'm worth the effort. And the planet is deserving of all the goodness I can offer. Because it's not the world's job to fit into my life. It's my job to fit into the world's life. So what do you guys think? Are you questioning yourself or others around you? Do you blame someone else for your behavior? Can you justify doing something harmful to yourself? All questions I'd like for you to ponder in your spare time. Next week, it's all about alcohol, which can be an addiction, a disease, an allergy, or just a way of life. Tune in next week, and don't forget to touch base with me on social media or email me. Until then, my lovely listeners, please have a blessed week with all the goodness this world has to offer. Peace, love, light, and prayers. Marianne.